Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today, we have a special guest who serves voluntarily as a board of directors chair. She oversees eight committees on behalf of a risk and compliance organization called the National Association of Black Compliance and Risk Management Professionals. She is also a contributing author to an extraordinary project and book titled Courage in Cannabis. Adila Anwar, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, first off, congratulations on being a contributing author to Courage in Cannabis and being connected with Dr. Bridget Williams. I'm sure that took a lot. So kudos on on that and congratulations for that accomplishment. Absolutely. I mean, it's um, very meaningful to be a part of history. And um, I feel that book is a marker in history, especially in this time. I'm so glad that you said it that way, because oftentimes when I talk to guests that are a part of the cannabis industry and and making such an impact like like you are, um, sometimes we don't even realize that we are making we're we're writing history, right, because this is such a nascent industry and community. Um, So it's going to be pretty cool to look back on this in 10, 15, 20, 30 years and see what kind of a stamp we made uh, on this this piece of history. Absolutely. You know. Storytelling is what we are founded on, uh, even as a founding country. You know, we, we are depending upon those stories, even if they're not uh, the best stories, we still depend on those stories because it helps us understand and picture the future. Exactly, exactly. So if you, if you can just kind of take us back to, you know, what were those first, first weeks or days or moments where you decided to kind of embark on on your journey into the cannabis industry and the cannabis community and kind of what that path looked like to bring you to to where you are today sure well i know this i came from i come from the space of technology and basically what that means is i'm coming already of looking at the world objectively from a systems and a performance uh, standpoint because that's what I do. I'm a business systems analyst by trade. And, um, you know, working in the consulting field, you know, you get to see a lot of different issues and problems. One of which I seen was um, in the cannabis industry. Wasn't so much to me about legalizing and being able to use. It was more so creating a system that is unified throughout so that when uh, it does become legal, it's uh, properly adapted and properly scaled. So some people are looking at this from a monetary standpoint, but I'm not. I'm looking more for the disjointment and uh, looking to achieve a focus in the gaps that are not in alignment with, um, with our communities. And I believe that is what is plugging us, not the fact that it's not legal, the fact is, is that when it does become legal, people are being robbed of uh, their rights as a consumer and also as a business owner. So that, to me, um, created the need. And uh, being a part of NACROMP and um, the organization in which we are here under the clause of that DEI, having representation throughout communities, whereas we don't see a lot of representation of individuals black and brown in uh, different communities. What we want to do is we want to show uh, that in each industry. And by doing so, I decided that it would be a great idea to open up a cannabis industry work group because already this uh, industry has taken off. I don't know uh, 
Some people can get in, some people can't get in, but it's not the problem. The problem now is ensuring that it's fair. It's fairness across the board. Just like if it's fair to be on the board, it should be fair to be in this industry. I, I love that and I totally agree with you. And so how did, so what, what would you say is your biggest focus right now, especially with contributing to the book and, and your role right now um, as a chair on the board of directors, what would you say is kind of your main focus right now as we look to close out 2021, head into 2022 and sort of inch forward towards that North Star, which is ultimately, you know, federally legalizing cannabis? First and foremost, for anything, education. See, what I've led with with my committee, uh, and I don't have a lot of committee members, and I say that proudly, and I tell you why, because everybody is still in the corporate world, still a little anxious about this, and they're not really comfortable to uh, really speak about it, let alone do it, let alone be a part of it. But what I'm doing is I'm laying out a foundation of education, first and foremost. I've had clubhouse chats, kind of like the fireside chats, uh, getting in contact with industry group leaders like the Cleveland School of Cannabis and Dr. Bridget. You know, these are our professionals leading in the industry. I've been getting those people on the phone, having that discussion under an audience membership so that they can just start listening to the voices, the thought leadership that comes up from the people who, who work corporate jobs just like everybody else who's now in this industry. They need to hear those voices and that's gonna lead them into learning more about the industry to hopefully adapting principles that they can utilize in their workspaces. So the next step, now that we've done the campaigning about educating everyone, now let's start showing what that looks like. Let's start looking at what a cannabis user looks like in the workplace. Do they look drugged out? Do they look, <laughs> you know, you know, how does those users look? You know, let's start talking about some use case scenarios on, hey, you know, George, uh, he had to use cannabis for his uh, his pain and now he's getting fired. You know, let's start talking and having that conversation to even see if the laws that they have in place even make sense for some of these corporate businesses. Um, I know Amazon, they've already taken off of their list of things that they're checking for during a drug test, cannabis. Okay, how many more companies can do the same? Let's start really looking into this and seeing who our consumers are in this industry, rather than just looking at it from the vantage as the drug. The fairness, not the use, not the monetization. I don't care about that. I care about the fairness at this point, the rights of those who are the consumers and the rights of those who are the um, the business and those corporate entities, you know, because Target can get, un, uh, you know, Target as an example, they can get unnecessarily fined for firing somebody because they got old laws on the books. That's a compliance risk. That's a risk in rules. That's a risk in regulations. That's a risk in personal civil rights. That is a problem. We can't have lax and then somebody can monetize off of that because somebody was negligent to change their compliance. That's what we're talking about. You nailed it. You nailed it. And <laughs> I, I really, I really appreciate that too, because you, you bring up fairness, right. And you really emphasize the concept of fairness, not just, you know, in terms of, okay, how are we going to make X amount of money? You know, how can we get access to, it? but fairness, right. 
where, where do we, you know, kind of meet in the middle on that, on that spectrum? And so you brought up um, the Cleveland School of Cannabis and also Dr. Bridget Williams, who I've connected with, and she's just an unbelievable person in this space. Big shout out to her. She's the Oprah of cannabis to me. I'm she telling is. you right now. She is. She's the Oprah. I, I want to see that name across the board. When we speak about cannabis, I want to see the Dr. Bridget show because she is the Oprah of cannabis at this point. I totally agree. She she's just an extraordinary person in this in this space. I, I don't even want to say industry. It's almost more like more like community rather at this point. Um, but you also mentioned the Cleveland School of Cannabis. Can you kind of for, for those who necessarily who may not be from that area, can you kind of just uh, shed a little bit of a light on the importance of that organization and kind of the role that they play when it comes to education? in your in your particular state and then also kind of how that might be an example for other states to follow. Let me give you a little background because that's going to help paint the picture. Mm-hmm. I met Dr. Bridget and Kevin Green at a uh, at a at a cannabis expo here that they had in Dallas, Texas. They mm-hmm. came down here from Ohio. Also, Cleveland, Ohio is my hometown. It's, <laughs> I wasn't born there, but I was raised there. I left Ohio at the tender age of 15 before I started my early adulthood life. So it resonates to me that home is doing something meaningful. So mm-hmm. that's when I begun to understand more about exactly what Kevin Green, he's the vice president of the Cleveland School of Cannabis, what they're doing. They are bridging the gap between leadership, education, and formal education, so, and the job market. So let's talk about that. After I leave school, I'm not, I don't have to go to school anymore for a four-year degree that I might waste money and time on. When I leave this school, I will be able to know how to grow. I will be able to know how to get income and perhaps open a business. And I have credible leadership, like people who work in pharmacology and uh, people who are doctors in this community where I can have the ability to finish school and be able to find a job when I get out of school. And I'm not going to be in all this debt because I didn't have time to get a education or didn't have time to get a job after my education. That there closes so many gaps alone. And a place like Cleveland, Ohio, that is already hitting the poverty line. And again, we're not talking about just monetization, but just look at the community. The Mm -hmm. community of people in Cleveland, Ohio, I don't care what color you are. You could be black, brown, Italian, white. It doesn't matter. There is a poverty line there. The poverty line begins because there is no jobs. The poverty line begins because there's more availability to opiates. That in the mark in the pharmaceutical market than there is to things that are really helping people uh, have a better quality of life. This is where poverty comes in. So now we have a place that is educating and taking people out of poverty. That's why this school is so important to me because of what they're doing. I feel, I mean, the Harvards are the war are great because those are that's educational leadership. But think about it like this. All those people who were founded, like the Calvinists of the world and the, um, the, the writers, the famous uh, literary article writers uh, from those days, mm-hmm. those were the universities that they trained at. That's how those universities became popular. We're leading a different type of thought leadership in this world. This is a new world. I don't care if anybody wants to say it or not. We have different ways in which we're living and we cannot 
live on the same ways that our forefathers lived. This type of school is which is, is educating the future. And that's why I'm crazy about this place because we are giving our future hope. We already told them that we're broke. We're not gonna be able to give you a pension. I don't know if you know, but so many companies, they don't even offer pensions anymore. Right. We don't have a, um, a, pass, uh, a pass into that world anymore. We have to create it for ourselves. The people in my, I'm a millennial, okay? I have to create my own reality now. Whether that's augmented, it could be in the meta world or it could be right here in this world. I have to create that. And in doing so, I need to be uh, uh, understand what my opportunity is. And that's all that the Cleveland School of Cannabis is doing is creating opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of circle back to to what you've been emphasizing, to me, that sounds fair. Right. That you're not going after just just money and business and industry, which is good, which is needed. But you're 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 doing something that's pulling people out of rough situations and you're giving them the tools they need now you're not giving them a handout but you're giving them the tools that they need and the coaching and the training and the education to go and build that that you know we'll call it an asset right to to build that asset for themselves and that i think is just something that you know states should follow especially you know now on the east coast as cannabis is starting to gain popularity and, and legal traction over here. Um, but th- that, that's a, that's a resource that, that I believe should be available to everybody. And so hopefully other States will follow and, and learn from it. And I would just say this, I was a part of a, a round table discussion um, about a month ago, and that was for my organization. Mm-hmm. And in that discussion, we were speaking about FinTech. Okay. <laughs> and I could go on about this subject because it's my, is one of the passions that I have is making payments available to people, no matter what, where they are in the world, you should be able to get your money. So one thing I heard, and I feel that it was a, such a, a profound moment that, well, uh, you know, in our communities, and this is more of the black and brown community, we're still waiting for the banks to be built. And my thought initially was, I haven't been to the bank in 30 days. Who's going to the bank? I'm getting Venmo and Cash App, right. and I'm not even I'm not even using Wells Fargo that much because I can get my money today, right now. I could use Zelle, and I could get it from your account to my account. So, I think we have a, a, a clash in culture, and I also think we have a clash and a and a latency and information. I know that everybody can access Twitter, Snapchat, and TikTok in under a minute. And anything that you do and say could be spread across the internet in a millisecond. So you're telling me that I need to go wait on the bank to get my money. It's the same essential idea I have when it comes to education. I don't have to wait to go to somebody's university or school to get an education. I can go ahead and apply myself and I can look for it and I can get it and I can be working tomorrow. That's how I feel about that. I, I totally agree. And not to go off on a tangent or, or down a rabbit hole, but I mean, especially now with the whole adoption of cryptocurrencies and blockchain and, and all of that. I mean, I know your head's spinning right now, so I, I know that's where your passion lies, but it I mean, is. access to that, there's no need. Well, maybe not no need, but the, 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 the absolute dependency on a bank is slowly starting to fade away. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm working in that 
in working in that space, the bank is spending a lot more time trying to spend time with us millennials to figure out what should we do now, Jock? Yeah, what we should do now is get this stuff built out properly so everybody can access it because the time is changing and it's changing fast and we have to get up to speed on that. And one of which is getting in a place like the Cleveland School of Cannabis where you can get your education and not have to wait uh, six years after a, a, a case study and, uh, oh, well, maybe I'll let him into this program or maybe I won't. You know, it's not the same world, not right. the same prestige um, that we placed before on getting that four or uh, eight year education. And I'll just be honest here. I, I, I'm not a traditional student and I'm living proof of that. So the fact that people tell me it can't be done, oh, it can be. Yeah, and and the the shift the shift is very it's very evident too because lately, from what I've been hearing, employers are more hungry for your skill sets and for your soft skills and how well you're able to pick up new skills and adapt and and all of those things, and they're not necessarily so hungry for the for the four or six year degree. Um, so because I, that I they know that that is true, uh, it's it's conditioned training. Right. Uh, a Harvard is a condition. A MIT is a condition. You know, you're coming out with leadership school of thoughts, but those leaders of that leadership school of thought doesn't exist anymore. So now they need people who can study like a computer, mm -hmm. who can go and grab the data and apply the data. This is what they're looking for. They need somebody who can learn quickly without having to uh, think about, oh, well, what did what did William Falkner think? Or what did, oh, you know, because we don't live in that time anymore. We're living in a rapid society. Yeah. So um, I, I want to shift the conversation just a little bit back to Courage and Cannabis for a second. Without giving away, obviously, the entire chapter that you've contributed, can you just give us a little bit of a sneak peek or a little bit of a spotlight onto sort of maybe a mini version of, of what you wanted to share in the book uh, and what folks can kind of anticipate when they pick up a copy for themselves. When I pick up a copy and they read my section and, you know, the entirety of the book itself, but when they get to my section, they're going to talk, we're, we're going to, I'm talking about the new normal. That's the name of the chapter. That new normal. What does it look like? Uh, what could we expect? And, um, you know, I've already talked about that new world. And this isn't a conspiracy, uh, you know, we're not going down that rabbit hole, but we're going mm -hmm. down a rabbit hole, whereas we see a change, an abruption uh, that is happening, a change in the climate, if you will. And um, essentially, I'm explaining how I'm going through that climate as a professional. I'm taking the walk in the shoes of a person who has uh, been inundated all their lives with different types of technologies and education. And I'm taking that walk across into a totally new industry. I get to be a part of a industrial revolution, if you will. And that's the way I see it. We got a civil rights movement, which is the DEI, right? The ability to have everybody be represented and, and, and that's kind of like the foundation of my organization in the risk and compliance sector. And then we have an individual who is coming into this new industrial revolution, whereas 
cannabis is being regulated. However, it's also being a law that's regulatorily passed throughout the United States. I want to show in my eyes and to the audience, you know, what that lens looks like and, you know, just really what we discussed today, the opportunity and which we're not cap we're not capitalizing on. Forget about money. Money is on the table. It's going to be made. Forget about just the industry alone. You know, you're, it's going to happen. We're talking about getting everybody's mind wrapped around the way that they need to retool and educate themselves so that we can live a more fair uh, life, whereas we're not fighting so much for the pleasures, we're creating that pleasure. I'm excited to get my hands on a copy of the book. That's all I'll say. Listen, I see your face, Mike, and I believe it. I, <laughs> I believe that because, I mean, what other way is it to read? The, you're talking to people that are leaders. They are, um, some people are uh, visionaries. Dr. Bridge is a visionary. She's creating this book because she knows, and I know, they might, they might decide that they want to erase history like they've done before, but we have a book. Mm -hmm. We have a book now. This is how they used to maintain history, is by writing, by literal, uh, liter literature and articles. And I mean, if you can find articles uh, about uh, how the world was ran before, you know, Christopher Columbus and the Indians, then I'm quite sure people will be able to get their hands on this knowledge. And that's what we're doing. We're providing knowledge for everyone in stories. And that's how the world was found as I begun this conversation. And that's how it's going to end. It's going to end with a story. That's a beautiful thing, especially to, look, to be able to look back on, like we said earlier, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, because I mean, think of the progress that we've made just in the last few years, specifically within cannabis, and, and the community surrounding it. But I can only imagine, especially as technology advances, and, and just everything starts speeding up and snowballing, the next two, three, four, five years, I think are going to are going to be very, very pivotal in, in how history plays out. Every time I think about uh, the future, I, I, I have that image of, uh, of um, not the Terminator, I don't want to say that one, but <laughs> maybe a, a futuristic, uh, and, and that's the only way we're going to get there if we continue to envision that and we keep leading ourselves into that futuristic uh, uh, idealism. And I see it, it's happening. We have artificial intelligence, we have technology, but we need basic principles to live a sustainable life. We need to feel comfortable in the shoes that we're in so that we could get up and do our jobs without having to feel judged uh, because you used cannabis. Oh, well, you used cannabis. You just drunk a fifth of alcohol, but you used cannabis and we're gonna have to fire you for that. I, you know, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand, and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an avid user, but what I'm going to say is that car accidents, someone at Chick-fil-A late at night, I don't know. Which one's worse, right? Which one's worse? I, that's what I want to know. I, you know, if we did the numbers, and I'm a numbers person, I, I would say it's much higher. More people in line with Chick-fil-A trying to get us chicken sandwich versus those who are being killed uh, daily. I, I just found out about a friend of ours just got killed by a drunk driver. And I'm not going to compare apples with oranges, but I'm just saying that if we're looking at, if we're looking at that, 
We should be looking at this too. We should be looking at the opiate crisis. We should be looking at people falling asleep in minivans while they're transporting their kids to school because they're under the influence of opiates and how it's been marked a crisis and we don't have a solution yet. You know, these are problems within the world that are not giving us such a quality of life. And we need to get back the power and create that quality of life for ourselves so that we will be able to say those years uh, further down the line, hey, we got out of this rut and, you know, now we're, we're living on our property and, you know, we're able to monetize and make money for our children in their future. We're not begging. We're, we're not, I don't want a welfare system anymore. Can we, can we take that away? Why is that even there in the first place? Because families don't have the ability to earn and make money. There's disabilities. There's, you know, there's so many challenges. Let's take some of those challenges out the book and create more opportunities. That's all I'm saying. You need a TV show. I hear, I mean, it's just I hear you loud and clear, and I, told, I totally agree. You know, and it's that biblical paradise on earth that we're talking about. And, you know, I, I do a Bible study, uh, and I see that. And it was the way that mankind was meant to live. We were not meant to live in this type of... Uh, dysphoria i told i let's just get back to basics that's all i'm saying yeah. you know we got risk we got compliance these are rules that govern companies people and uh the regulatory industry in which the government is set up by fine let's get everybody incorporated to that and let's just not silo it to some people that's all i'm saying yeah and i definitely think that we're heading down that path but it's still going to take a little bit of muscle but i think we're definitely heading down that path but i, I guess it more or less we, we, we're pulling those people aside and say, hey, dude, does this really make sense? Because we got people in the boardroom advocating for uh, cannabis, or I'm sorry, not advocating for cannabis, but now you're losing millions of dollars and millions of people, you know, to a black market, uh, you know, which the, the people are still contributing and buying to. So, you know, we're, we're creating still um, a, what do they call a uh, environment that is uh, geared towards corruption because we're, we're not fixing the problems and creating solutions. I, I totally agree. And I, I think everyone who's listening is probably nodding their head the same way that you and I are right now. Um, so Adila, I don't wanna to take too much more of your time, but for those who do wanna reach out and connect with you, what would be the best and easiest way for them to do so? Well, on my website, um, that we go, that I would like for everybody to go to is www.narp, oh, look, excuse me, let me say that again, www.napcrmp.org, nacromp.org. I want everybody to check us out. And uh, most importantly, you can connect with me, Adela Anwar, on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, also, you can Google my name. <laughs> and I will pop up. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today and, and sharing your story and just being so open to speak about this and for, for doing the work that you do, because it's definitely going to make an impact in history. And I'm looking forward to keeping in touch and keeping this, this dialogue going. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. And I just want the audience to leave today knowing we have an opportunity if we create opportunity. 
and we have people that will stand behind you in those opportunities. And that's exactly what my organization does. We create uh, communications with industries so that we can understand their thought leadership and get them to the table about creating things that are out of fairness instead of exclusion. Totally, totally. And I'll, I'll, we'll be sure to link down in the in the show description to to the website directly into your LinkedIn so that people can have an easy time finding you. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. Catch you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.